Did you know that there are built-in dangers in preferring risk-free superficial relationships over the risk of long-term friends that are fraught with disappointment? What I'm suggesting here is that the temptation is strong for us to prefer superficial relationships because there are dangers in building long-term ones. For example, I will hear a person talk about how they met a stranger and within minutes they had an in-depth personal conversation with them. More than likely, you have done that. I have done that many times. I find it quite easy to walk up to strangers and just have a wonderful one-time conversation with them. And I can find out so much about their lives. We can interact, we can joke, we can enjoy each other, and then we can go on our way. And sometimes people will talk about these interactions and they will glow about how easy and how natural it was to talk to their new friend. And maybe you should put new friend in quotation marks because they're not going to see this per- or probably not going to see this person again. And then they will say something like, as she was a perfect stranger. This interaction actually has a descriptor that goes along with it. It's called the stranger on the train phenomenon. It's when you meet someone, like, say, on a train, and you strike up a conversation. You know that there's an end to this relationship. It's going to end at your next stop. It's going to end in 15 minutes. It's going to end when you all separate. And you can talk because there is virtually no risk in those relationships. It is similar to the lack of complexity in dating an individual versus the rigors of marriage after you bring that date home, after the honeymoon, and now you're stuck with each other for life. The stranger on the train phenomenon is, well, it can be fantastic, but it can also be dangerous. And I want to talk about this idea in this podcast. This is episode 321. The title of it is, Why are superficial friends more enjoyable than long-term ones? Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am glad that you are here. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you so much for your comments uh, that you make about the co- about the podcast, the questions that uh, some of you ask. We appreciate all of your questions. We appreciate people inquiring about this ministry and asking us for help. It is our privilege to be able to serve the body of Christ. We exist to provide life-changing resources that equip Christians to help others. That is why we are here. We want to identify Christians and we want to equip and help them. Maybe it's just as simple as answering questions that they may have, but we want to equip them so that they can help others. Our mission is to replicate people, whether it's through our lengthy and more complex mastermind program, uh, which we have for those who uh, come to our ministry and they want to embed themselves in a two to three, sometimes four, depending on their pace, four-year program. It is self-paced, and so you can uh, do it according to your schedule and according to your timeline, not ours. And that is a benefit, of course, if you are a disciplined person 
Now, if you're not a disciplined person, then it might not be a benefit at all because you will be beholding to procrastination and you will tend to put things off and uh, not structure yourself in such a way where you can get through it. However, there are those who come to our mastermind program and we are permitted. They ask us to equip them. And again, that is the heart of our ministry, equipping Christians to help others. Just this weekend, we graduated another student uh, this year. This is our third student uh, this year, uh, Chad Voderbruggen. That's a lot of name. Chad is from South Dakota, and he's been a part of our ministry for a few years now, part of our mastermind program. I would say a little over three years, and he just finished his last assignment a couple of days ago, and he he is now our newest graduate. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we graduated Jeff Mears from California. And then a month or so before that, we graduated Cece Tillman from Alabama. And so whether you're from Alabama, California, South Dakota, or wherever you may live, uh, we would love for you to be part of our Mastermind program because, again, that is what we do. But if you just have a question that you want us to answer, well, Again, it can be that simple. We can do that as well. You can come to our forums and allow us to engage you, and that would be marvelous. I received this note from Susan. She said this, Your ministry and teachings have been used by God so mightily in my life. I am always screenshotting your graphics for further study. I need a hard copy book. Ha ha, Susan said. Your counseling course is on my bucket list, so that you know. God bless you guys, and thank you. You're probably my number one mentor. And we are a 12-person team. This is not me uh, doing all of this. There are 12 of us all together as a team uh, that put this ministry together, and we're continually growing, always putting out resources. And so, Susan, thank you for your kind note. I'm glad that we are your number one mentor, or I'm, I'm sure what you mean online, uh, your number one mentor, of course, is probably your your local church and folks that are in your real real world life. But I am thankful that we are a good and adequate come-along ministry that you can access 24, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I would appeal to you, for those of you who aren't supporting us and you are able, if you would, we do need your help. We are continuing continuing to roll out more and more resources, and it is a joy to do it, but it is an expensive operation, and for us, our 12-member team and what we are building, uh, the resources that we provide, they are free resources and anyone can access them. But of course, as you know, our supporting community, that they aren't free. Uh, They have to be paid for. We have businesses that require us to pay them money so that we can use their their plugins and their software and their programs so that we can run this organization and so it is an expensive endeavor a couple hundred thousand dollars a year uh, is the ideal budget for our ministry and it takes a lot of work to get to that number so that we can provide a ministry that is satisfying to many and so if you're able to support us Maybe it's just sacrificing a cup of coffee a month 
12 coffees a year, $5 a month, or anything above that. But if you would go to our website, we would really appreciate it. I appeal to you. I really do appeal to you to support the ministry so that we can reach more people like Susan as a come-alongside mentor to what God is doing in her life, or more people like Chad or Jeff or Cece as they enter into our program so that we can equip them too. And so, please consider it, and I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to read my show notes to this podcast, just go to episode 321. Look for the title, Why Are Superficial Friends More Enjoyable Than Long-Term Ones? I use the illustration of boy meets girl as a illustration of a quick short-term, I mean, it might not be short-term, it could go to long-term, but they meet, they don't know each other is what I'm saying. And so the boy and the girl, they, they meet, it's a superficial relationship at that point because they don't know each other. And just like the stranger, that is the stranger on the train phenomenon, by the way. And they hit it off and they cannot stop talking to each other. They may be exhausted from their day jobs, but they have uninterrupted energy to chat each other up throughout the night. I remember those days when I met Lucia. There were we we talked for hours, uh, either on the phone or with each other. Now. I will say this, a little uh, side note, Lucia is a a wonderful person, and I I do remember one instance where I was uh, chatting her up. She was sitting in a rocking chair, and she was rocking as I was waxing elephants, and I looked at her at one point, and and she actually went to sleep uh, on me, and I, I thought that was interesting, but then you may remember a podcast or so ago where I mentioned where a lady at one of my conferences said that I was a, a boring speaker, and I, I hadn't even put these things together yet. But, but Lucia fell asleep on me when we were dating because I had so much that I wanted to say, and I'm an introvert at heart. That is my personality. I'm not a talker. It takes work for me to talk, but maybe there's an issue here. She went to sleep during our dating relationship, at least on one instance that I recall, and then this other person says I'm a, a boring speaker. However, the tables can be turned as well. I remember one time in a counseling session where I felt asleep on a lady who was sharing her heart with me. It was right after lunch, and my office was was hot. It, they, they built the office in such a way that it didn't have a return vent, and so it just pumped hot air in there all the time during the winter, and so it got kind of toasty in that office. <laughs> and this lady was sharing her heart with me, and I fell asleep. Actually, I fell asleep twice, and I did all I could to stay awake. But it was right after lunch, and it was siesta time, and ironically, she was a Hispanic lady, and I loved her so much, and she loved me, by the way. I mean, we were friends, and we laughed about it, and I just apologized all over the place uh, because I fell asleep. But when a dating relationship, when they first meet, well, typically it's not like that. I mean, there are no limits to how much they can talk, how much they can share, and then repeat. They do it all over again. They're tearing each other up on on text and Snapchat or whatever it is that they're using or the phone or in person. Now, one of the reasons for this is because there is no history with this couple. 
the stranger on the train. There are no grudges with that person that you have just met. There's no unforgiveness out there with the boyfriend or the girlfriend that you're beginning to build a relationship with. There's no bitterness between the two of them. And if you have no history with an individual, and it's truly, I mean, a stranger, metaphorically speaking, on a train, well, then you can have a, a basically a risk-free conversation with that person. It's the conference speaker or the blogger or the podcaster, in this case, who is so transparent about his life knowing that he doesn't live with his audience. And people do tell me that regularly, uh, that you're very transparent in your talks. And I am transparent in my talks, but I have to be honest that it's easier. I mean, some people don't do that at all, and I understand. And, and, And people do find it refreshing when the speaker is transparent. But I want you to know that that is not the same as building a long-term relationship with a person that that you can't escape from, that you're not going to leave. When I go into a town to speak at a local church or with an organization, I do I do communicate transparently and I share things about my life. I do that here in these podcasts. And for those of you who have been listening uh, for years, you know that. And it's one of the things that some people, many people do enjoy because it seems so real. And it is real. I am sharing true stories and maybe vulnerable and transparent stories. But I also am aware that I don't meet my audience or I only meet them in a temporary fashion. Now, the question is, am I transparent? Am I this way in my long-term relationships? And you can ask those relationships, but yeah, that's true too. When we meet with a couple, we talk about the struggles that are in our lives. And so we do do that. It's not just a, a speaking trick a speaking method, whether behind a microphone here or in a public setting at a local church. It's not a trick. It's not a method. It's, it's who I am. But, but if, you, if you meet someone on a temporary basis, you can do that. And that is the danger, that if it's the only time that you're open and honest with someone, with the stranger, and if that's true, then, well, you do have a problem. You see, marriage is when you start living with a stranger on the train in a 24-7 lifetime relationship where sin abounds. And all of us have gone through that. If you've been married for any length of time, or maybe if you have dated for a long period of time. Now, Lucia and I dated for three years and so we did work through a lot of stuff in three years because typically a, rela- a dating relationship, about the one-year mark, uh, is where it typically gets tough. And if you date for one year or more, and I'm talking about in-person dating, not long-distance dating, you're going to learn each other in such a way that the habits are going to start getting to be annoying The things that you like about the person initially can become bothersome and about the one-year mark. And, of course, we dated for three years, 
And the reason we dated so long, by the way, is that her parents struggled with me because I was divorced and have two children from a previous marriage. And so, and, and, and again, I would struggle as well. As I've said often, if I came to my door wanting to date me, I'd have a problem with it. So I, I understand that. But because of that, we there was a a built-in blessing there. We dated for three years before we, uh, before uh, her dad gave me permission uh, to marry her. By the way, this is I'm doing this podcast on May the second, 2021, and her dad passed away a year ago on May first, uh, 2020. And so it's kind of a sad, a, a sad couple of days for Alicia. She loved her dad. Uh, very much, and he was almost 97 uh, years old, and he was a wonderful man, and he he did say, he did give me permission to marry her about the two-year mark, and then it took a year to to do get ready for the proposal to ask her to marry me, and then eventually get married on June 28th, uh, which is coming up here in a little over a month, and, and that was 20, that will be 24 years ago, and so we dated, we worked through a lot of stuff, and that's what happens in a marriage because it's it's a 24-7 lifetime relationship, and sin does abound. I mean, you know your spouse like the back of your hand. You know their tendencies. You know their weaknesses. You know their triggers. You have a historical record of all the times that they had had hurt you, and I trust that you have worked through that and that you're not in the place of the accumulative trauma effect where you don't have a sin plan, that you don't walk out repentance. And so there's an accumulative effect of all the things that have happened in the past. And you do have a historical record of unforgiveness. And if that is there, well, it's going to be super easy uh, to have a great relationship with the stranger on the train. Because with your spouse, you are keenly aware when or when not to be vulnerable. You factor in all the communication risk with your former stranger on the train. Of of course, you married the stranger on the train, and you did bring them home. Now, this concept of sharing with freedom and without fear is called the disinhibition effect. And what that means is, is there is a little inhibition about being vulnerable with a stranger because he can't hurt you, so you believe. Of course, the possibility of being vulnerable and a lack of perceived risk is part of the bait that cyberspace uses to lure you into its net. You see, cyberspace is another context where you can enjoy the stranger on the train phenomenon. In real world relationships, it's more complex to unlike somebody. When bad things happen and hurts accumulate, you have to deal with them biblically or not. How many times have you read on Facebook where a person said something unkind and never confessed it as sin or asked for forgiveness? Uh, Maybe those of you who have Twitter accounts, you see that. Twitter is a a dumpster fire of anger and, and hate. You know, it would be exceptional for a Christian to clean up their cyber dust ups on social media. Unfortunately, the norm is a hit and run because 
They don't have to interact with those annoying people in real life and real space. The disinhibition effect releases you to say whatever is on your mind, things you would never say face to face. Real world relationships take work. They are tedious and it's a guarantee that you will offend someone. I mean, no wonder cyberspace is so popular. Hurting souls are everywhere, especially in the local church. Real life is strewn with broken people. While Facebook is, and I'm using Facebook as, a, as an illustration, but virtually any social media platform, these social media platforms are full of folks who prefer false intimacy as they put their best foot forward while keeping everyone at cyber arm's length. Social media is like a drug to the hurting, desperate soul, and I use the drug analogy intentionally because of how drugs affect the addict who is desperate for an escape. After you meet the stranger on the train, and both of you throw inhibition to the wind, you may... You may convince yourself that you're building a whole relationship with a whole person, but you're not. At best, what you have is true and false intimacy. It is a hybrid. It's a little bit true because you're talking to a real person and they're telling true stories to you. But it's also false because you cannot replicate and you cannot enjoy God's solution to companionship in cyberspace. I mean, in Genesis 2.18, it says it's not good for the man to be alone. Well, being alone, meaning there's nobody in your real world space. But some people choose to cut themselves off from all potential hurt. If you do that... It's not possible to know God the way he wants you to know him. You will carve out a world where you're relying on yourself, building high walls and safe spaces. Of course, the adverse effect of not engaging real people in a real fallen world is that your safe space will incarcerate you. I'm talking about the cyber effect on your sanctification. The title of this episode, this is episode 321, is titled, Why Are Superficial Friends More Enjoyable Than Long-Term Ones? And I've introduced this term, well, it's, and it's not one that I coined, by the way, but it's called the stranger on the train phenomenon. And now I brought it down to the most commonplace where we experience the stranger on the train phenomenon, and that is in cyberspace. And that is the temptation for us to spend more time on social media building relationships. And I'm putting that in quotation marks because it's not true, but it becomes addictive. And some people will pass that off as I am in community and I am doing relationship. But what they have done is they have built high walls around themselves and created a, a so-called safe space. But they become incarcerated by those high walls, trying to protect themselves from being hurt. And ultimately, the cyber effect has a huge impact on your sanctification. 
The most debilitating adverse impact on technology and social media is what it does to our Christian maturity, our progressive sanctification I'm talking about, especially in how we relate and engage and participate while cooperating with God in the transformation of the body of Christ. You can't relate, engage, participate, cooperate with God in the transformation of the body of Christ. You can't do that well online. If we don't change each other in real time and space, the damage to the body of Christ will be immediate and generational. And so with these things in mind, I do want to ask you just a handful of questions that I trust will help you to reflect on how you build relationships and where you put the accent mark on building relationships. Is the accent mark in cyberspace or real space? I'm not saying that cyberspace is is bad altogether in totality. No, I just shared with you a note sent in by Susan where she says that we are one of her primary mentors. We are a come-alongside ministry that she uses. She screenshots our, our material, and she uses it regularly, and I am so glad. But, but I'm sure she would be the first to tell you that we are not a replacement for real-world relationships. And so with these things in mind, here's a few questions for you. Number, the first one is, what is your theology of technology? Do you have a theology of technology? How would you explain your reasons for using technology and how those thoughts your explanations, how they build up the body of Christ and spread the fame of God. We are a technological ministry, and we do use technology, and we have a theology of technology, and what I'm sharing here is part of it. Part of it is where we put the accent mark. We do not put the accent mark on technology as far as relationships. We put it, or on cyberspace, we, we put it in real space with real people. And you have to be the same way. That has to be your intention to to build up the body of Christ in your real world and not building walls to hide behind and using technology as the primary means for connecting with, with anyone. And so what is your theology of technology? Second question, do the core tenets of your technology engagement have a love God and love others emphasis, or is it more about making you feel good, feel safe, feel connected? And so as you think through your theology of technology, do the core tenets of your technology engagement, does it have a love God, love others emphasis? Those are the two great commandments, that we're to love God and love others. Or are you turning it on yourself and you're using technology primarily to make yourself feel good or safe or connected. That is a narcissistic way of looking at technology. And so understanding or having a clear theology of technology, uh, it can be transformational. Number three, perhaps a better way to reflect on these things is by filtering your cyberspace experience through Paul's primary aim for everything we do as he laid out in uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where he said that whatever we do, we do all for the glory of God. And so one of the easiest ways, I think, to think about 
uh, technology and how we use it is that whatever we do, whether we eat or whether we drink, whether we use our technology, are we doing it for God's fame? Number four, what is one thing you should change about your tech habits? What is one thing that you can change? Maybe don't bring your phone to the dinner table. Maybe turn it over when you meet uh, with a friend. That's what I typically do. I turn my phone face down. I turn it off, uh, the notifications. I turn it off and then turn it face down so it's out of the way and it's not dinging me while I'm talking to another person. You can't do two things at one time. And either you're talking to the person that is in front of you or or you're committed to your phone that is in front of you as well. And so what is one thing that you could do to change your tech habits? And then the follow-up is what is your plan for change? And so what's one thing you can do? Write out a plan to change that thing. And then the third aspect of this question is where you share these things with a friend and ask them to help you stay the course. It's always good when God gives you light for something that you you make a plan uh, based on the light that he has given you, and then you share that plan with another friend because our temptation, and I have stories, I don't have time to share, but maybe at another point where God has given me light on, on something and I made a plan to change, but I didn't share it with a friend and I reverted back to the old habits that I had. Now, I also have a one-hour webinar here about uh, getting down and dirty with messy relationships as part of a talk that I gave recently in Florida, and I came back here and did this webinar. So you are, I do appeal to you where you can watch it uh, to learn more about building these relationships. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.